Once upon a time, there was a new crossover that refused to play by the rules. It flipped the script and made all the others look like fools. Featuring styling that's sexier by far and handles like a rock star. Introducing the first ever Toyota CHR. Enjoy agile handling in the body of a seductive crossover that comes with standard 18-inch alloy wheels. The first ever Toyota CHR. The perfect ride to spin your own tail. Toyota. Let's go places. Blog Talk Radio. Welcome, Truth Seekers. You're listening to A Measure of Truth on blogtalkradio.com. And I'm your host, Michael Fordham. Look, if you just click the link on my webpage or you're listening on blogtalkradio.com or even the Blog Talk Radio player on my Facebook page and you want to call in live, look, we'd love to talk with you. So give us a call. The number is 347-326-9470. Or if you like, you can tweet me your questions and comments at twitter.com slash a measure of truth. Also, if you haven't yet, why don't you look me up on Facebook? I'm the Michael Fordham with a photo of me in studio. And you can always email me your questions and comments at a measure of truth at gmail.com. Look, we got a great show for you today. We'll be right back after this. Wikipedia defines rape as a type of sexual assault, usually involving sexual intercourse or other forms of sexual penetration, carried out against a person without that person's consent. The act may be carried out by physical force, coercion, abuse of authority, or against a person who is incapable of giving valid consent, such as one who is unconscious, incapacitated, has an intellectual disability, or is below the legal age of consent. 
The term rape is sometimes used interchangeably with the term sexual assault. People who have been raped can be traumatized and develop post-traumatic stress disorders. Serious injuries can result along with the risk of pregnancy and sexually transmitted infections. It's not an easy story to tell or to share. But sometimes, in order to help make things right, you just have to sacrifice a measure of truth. Anika, welcome to A Measure of Truth. You know, I really want to thank you for taking time out and sharing your story with us. I know this um, requires quite a bit of courage and, you know, talking about something that's very personal in your life. And uh, we just want to get started and, and give people um, an idea of what actually happened in your story. So why don't we just start from the beginning um, and talk about actual event and what happened and how it occurred. Uh, yeah, so um, I definitely don't want to get into too much detail because I know that hearing uh, hearing the, the nitty-gritty details can be triggering for other survivors, um, and that's never my intention. But the kind of short story version of it is that um, I was a freshman at the George Washington University. It was my first time away from home. Um, obviously, I was learning a lot about myself and about um, you know how to how to live on my own very trial and error. So um, Mark was someone that I knew from my floor. Um, he, he lived on the same floor of the, of the dorm as me. Um, I knew him in passing. We had a class together. We had um, a mutual friend, and we spent some time together. Um, and I never for a second thought that anything was off. I never, um, you know, got a bad feeling from him or anything. Uh, like I told you earlier, I really only knew him for, you know, a few weeks, a month maybe. Um, and one night, just before spring break, um, a few friends and I were just drinking in our room, playing, you know, playing uh, some drinking games and hanging out. Um, and Mark was there. And uh, when we all eventually left and, and um, you know, I was very drunk, uh, I went back to his room with him. He asked me to come over and just, you know, sit with him and help him pack. And so I went back to his room with him without really thinking anything of it. Um, and when he made a move, I, I stopped him. But uh, like I said, I was very, very drunk at the time. So I was passing in and out of consciousness. Um, and despite making it very clear that I wasn't interested in having, you know, any kind of sexual relationship, um, while I was out of consciousness, he decided to, to kind of go ahead and do that anyway. Um, so that's kind of the short version of what happened. But the, right, the real story right. I want to tell is, is what happened after um, and the way that the school treated me because that's uh, unfortunately very normal around the country, and that's, that's really the problem. Mm-hmm. And, and one of the things I think you had to add, though, is the way you really found out that something was amiss is that you woke up and you were unclothed, and, and you knew that that's not something you had done, and it's bad. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so I have very little recollection of the assault itself, uh, which, again, is not abnormal at all. Um, you know, college is an environment where a lot of people are are away from home for the first time, you know, have access to alcohol for the first time, maybe don't know how to drink responsibly. And so, unfortunately, that's kind of that's one of the problems with this, this crime is that, unfortunately, very often, you know, survivors don't have the best memories of what happened, which mm-hmm. makes it um, very difficult for them to be believed, you know, and especially difficult for them to have the kind of hard evidence that they would need to prove you know, in a court of law that this happened to them. So it was similar for me uh, where I didn't know 
uh, until after it happened. And then even then, for a long time, I didn't think of it as, as sexual assault. Um, it took me a long time and a lot of education on consent and what it means and what it should look like to realize that you know, what had actually happened to me was not okay and not consensual. And um, But you also tried to confront him even before then about what happened. And um, what happened at that point when you speak with them about Uh, what transpired? Yeah, so I I did try to talk to Mark several times. Um, When it first happened, uh, he had a girlfriend. And so all of the bad feelings that I was was feeling, um, which came from, you know, feeling violated and taken advantage of, I didn't really know how to read those feelings. And so I thought that I just felt guilty. Um, And so for a long time, I tried to get him to talk to me because I felt that I needed some kind of closure and that would fix things. You know, I thought maybe he could explain away my guilt. Um, and for a long time, he avoided me and, you know, stood me up a few times. And eventually, when I when I did have the chance to sit down and talk to him, he said something that I will never forget. Um, he said, you know, it would have happened with anyone else. It was just male instinct. You know, he said after a certain point when you get mm-hmm. physically close to a girl, you know, an instinct just takes over. Um, and that, I remember, was, was devastating because beyond just being violated, it was humiliating to realize that it wasn't about me. It wasn't that he was attracted to me. Um, And that just proves something that I already kind of knew deep down inside is that um, rape and sexual assault are not about sex. They're about power. So whether it had been me in his bed that night or, you know, any other girl, it it wasn't that he was interested in me. It was that he was going to get what he wanted, whether, you know, the girl in his bed consented or not. Right, and, and basically it sounds like a predator. If someone was mm-hmm. in a position where he could take advantage of, that's what he would do, take advantage. Right. Yeah, exactly. So after this and, you know, you're trying to work it out with him directly um, and you were going nowhere, mm-hmm. what did you decide to do at that point to seek help and to seek retribution? Mm-hmm. Well, uh, after talking to him that one time um, and trying to talk to him several other times, eventually Mark just blocked me on all social media, you know, started avoiding me, and it was clear to me that he had no interest in, in talking to me. Um, and so I just kind of sought solace in my friend group and my, you know, support system. Um, and over that summer and over the next couple of years, you know, it was something that I came back to constantly. I would never be able to forget that night and the feeling of dread that I woke up with the next morning. Um, and so I, I talked about it a lot, you know, with my support system. I, I thought a lot about reporting and, you know, what my rights were and, and what um, what I could do to make him pay for what he'd done to me. And I also thought a lot about whether there were others, um, you know, whether it had only happened to me or if this had happened to someone else previously or since. But, as you know, I didn't report for a long time. Um, and that's something that's also really difficult to survive is just to know what the processes look like, you know, know what their rights are. It's just a really really scary kind of black hole of, of um, lack of information. And so I didn't, I didn't report for years because even though I thought about it every single day, I just didn't have the strength to do, you know, to, to go forward and tell someone in a position of authority about what had happened to me. And when you did report it, um, what, what actually happened? Were, were there, mm-hmm. was there someone there that was willing to listen or what was your actual experience? Mm-hmm. Um, so I did finally report um, in the fall of 2016, about two and a half years after the assault. Um, my senior year, 
it was uh, a lot of things kind of came into play. I, you know, changed as a person. I became stronger as a person, and that was definitely helpful. Um, but also, you know, senior year, everybody's talking about graduation and, and what they're going to do after. Um, and it just kept thinking, if I don't do something now, he's going to graduate and he's going to walk away and nothing is ever going to happen to him. Um, and so I couldn't really live with that. So eventually I did report to, um, to GW's Title IX office. Um, I filed an official complaint against him, you know, and went through all the details of the case. And uh, I gave them witnesses to, to interview. They called Mark in. He had his chance to tell, you know, his side of the story. Um, and then eventually we went to a hearing. So there was a university hearing board that had two students um, and two uh, staff members on it who, you know, really sat down and listened to all the testimony and listened to both of us and asked us clarifying questions and, uh, you know, asked us, well, these, you know, these two testimonies have slightly different um, accounts of what happened. Like, you know, what do you think the difference was? Uh, asked us about, you know, our understandings of consent um, and things like that. And eventually the university hearing board uh, came out with their outcome, which was that they found Mark Figueroa in violation of the GW Student Code of Conduct for an act of sexual violence, um, which, you know, wasn't enough anyway, but still it felt at least, you know, someone had acknowledged me, someone had heard my story and believed me. Um, and so that felt amazing. Um, and then what they had recommended uh, was suspension, which is also GW's recommended minimum sanction for the act of, of sexual violence. Um, but unfortunately, due to the administration and due to uh, Dean of Students, Peter Conworthy, Mark actually just received a deferred suspension, which is essentially a slap on the wrist. And what did that actually mean, deferred suspension, considering, mm -hmm. again, uh, this is at one time, what time before his graduation? How much time? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so this was like two months before uh, both of our, our graduations. Uh, and so deferred suspension means uh, that a student can't seek housing on university property, um, is on disciplinary probation, and has to meet monthly with the Title IX coordinator, uh, I guess, in order to keep track of them and make sure that they're, you know, fulfilling their online educational requirements. Um, but it's kind, of a, it's kind of a sanction that makes sense for a student that you're worried about. So, for example, if a student is caught, you know, underage drinking and the school is genuinely worried about their well-being, that makes sense, you know, to give them a deferred suspension. So that way they're not missing out on their education and you have kind of a mechanism to keep track of them. But it's not meant for someone who commits, you know, a violent crime against another, another community member. Um, and in Mark's case, because we were graduating in just two months, all it meant was that he had to, you know, go to two meetings with a Title line coordinator. And that's just a joke of a, of a punishment mm -hmm. for rape. Right. Mm -hmm. So after that, when you realized that he would be graduating at the same time as you without any real, you know, consequences, um, then you began to, I guess, develop a, a method that you would be able to still speak out. So tell us about that. Yeah. Um, so originally I had, I had tried to file an appeal. They could, um, I guess, go over my case again. But GW actually doesn't offer a mechanism for appealing when you think that the sanctions are too lenient. Um, so the only way that I would be able to appeal my case is if there was new information. And the only thing that I could appeal was whether or not he was found responsible. So obviously he was found responsible. That was the finding that I wanted. And so I was at the end of GW's judicial process. There was nothing left for me to do within the system. 
Um, so I figured I would look outside the system. And I worked with uh, a student org called GW Students Against Sexual Assault um, that does a lot of really great work around sexual assault on campus. So I worked with them, and we drafted a petition, um, which if your viewers are, uh, are interested, you can find it tiny.pc slash GW Protect Rapist. Um, and this petition essentially you know, tells my story, uh, and it calls for several things. One was uh, Mark's expulsion, and the other few were really just problems and loopholes in GW's policies and procedures regarding sexual assault. Because if nothing else, you know, if, if my case didn't you know, get resolved the way that I wanted it to, I wanted to make sure that other survivors moving forward would have better experiences with this process. And um, go over on the petition as well and, and get that one more time a little slower and um, talk about mm -hmm. those demands, you know, each one that's listed and why that's so yeah. important. Uh, yeah, sure. So the, the petition link is tiny.cc slash GW protect rapist. Um, and any combination of lowercase and capitals will get you there. Um, and so it has, originally it had five demands and now it has seven. So the first was expelling Mark effective immediately. Um, the second was implementing mandatory suspensions for students who are found responsible for acts of sexual violence. Um, until the survivor graduates, because uh, the reason that universities are able to, to handle this internally is because sexual violence has been um, relegated under Title IX, which is an anti-discrimination law. Um, so Title IX often comes up in terms of uh, sports, you know, making sure that men and women have equal access to sports facilities, um, but it also comes up for sexual assault because the logic of the Department of Education is that the epidemic of sexual violence on college campuses in this country is actively hindering American women from being able to pursue, you know, an equal education to what American men get. And so if that's the logic, then when a student is found responsible for an act of sexual violence, the only way that you can, you know, fulfill the spirit of Title IX is by removing that roadblock so that that woman or, you know, that student can, can get unfettered access to education. So the idea that GW can, can find Mark responsible, can admit that he is a rapist, and, and then still allow him to be on campus, you know, to graduate with me, and to continue to hold his on-campus job. He worked at the school gym, which is supposed to be a facility for all students, you know, free of charge, that's paid for by our tuition dollars. So effectively, I was paying his salary, um, and so that's not fair. The third um, petition... Uh, demand was to provide weekly updates to survivors as they move through the university's process, um, which was there because for me the process took 70 days. From the time that I had my hearing to the time that I got my outcome, not including winter break, which was in between, was 70 days, which is well past GW's own policies, 45 days, and well past the uh, U.S. Department of Education's policy of 60 days. And in that time, they never once reached out to me you know, to let me know how my case was going, or if there were any updates. And when I would reach out, I would often be ignored. I would have to send two emails just to get one back or, you know, phone, you know call in and, and yell at a receptionist just to get some kind of response, um, which is not fair, and it makes an already really invasive and difficult and traumatizing process just that much worse. Um, the fourth is related to this. The fourth demand is to commit um, to passing judgment on these cases in under two months, um, which GW isn't doing for me and also for other survivors that I've spoken with. And the fifth is to provide survivors with the opportunity to appeal not only the outcome of their cases, but the sanctions as well, um, which is essentially what I was saying before, where even though my rapist was found responsible, 
I didn't think that the punishment he received was uh, heavy enough, you know, for the crime. Um, and at other schools in, in the district that I've looked into, Georgetown, American University, and Howard University all allow for survivors to appeal sanctions. And GW is unfortunately lagging in that, in that way. Um, so those are the demands. And then as we moved forward in our, in our movement, we added two new demands. The first was to terminate Mark's employment at the, at the school gym where he worked as a student manager, which meant he was in charge of survivors. And, and uh, you know, half a dozen survivors came forward to us and said that they felt uncomfortable going to work when he was there. Um, and so it just doesn't make sense to me that you can be continue to allow, you know, uh, allowed to continue to work on campus. And the second uh, new demand was to remove Gabriel Sliska um, from his role. He was the he is still the director of the Office of Student Rights and Responsibilities, um, and he has a very long history of mishandling these cases and, you know, protecting um, accused men over over survivors, which um, you know it just doesn't make sense that he's been in this role so long. Wow. So um, you had mentioned as well that um, you had actually since then spoke with other women who had encounters with the same person as well. So this isn't mm-hmm. an isolated incident. Right. So uh, in the 24 hours after the petition went public, you know, naming him, three other survivors came forward to me and said that he had um, assaulted them as well, whether that be once or, you know, over a period of time. Um, And so, like I said, I had thought about the idea that maybe there were other survivors out there, but it was still such a shock to find out. Um, And the truth is that, you know, Mark Favorito is a known serial rapist. Um, And, and whether those survivors feel comfortable forward, which honestly, why would they with the way that the school has treated me? But, you know, if they feel um, comfortable enough to come forward or not, I believe them. And we, you know, all of us students who have been involved in this movement believe them. Um, and for the school to be aware of, the school is actually aware of at least three of these, um, three including me of the four survivors that I know of. And so to be aware of, of three survivors and still allow this student to graduate, you know, and walk away with this prestigious TW degree is just, I, I just can't even imagine the, the, you know, rationale behind that. Right. Mm. So what is the next step for you? What are you looking for and um, what actions are you going to take to continue your crusade? Well, I graduated um, and unfortunately so did Mark. So my case is, is over with the university. CW um, no longer has jurisdiction over either of us. So even if they wanted to, you know, do something, they no longer can. Um, other than revoking his degree, which is not something that they've made clear they're not going to do. Um, so I'm exploring several avenues forward. Uh, I am definitely heavily considering filing a Title IX complaint against GW. Um, and I know there's actually already an open, ongoing investigation against the university, um, which means that this is a problem that's been happening. Um, and it didn't start with me, and my case is not the only one that they've messed up. So um, I'm willing to go, you know, I'm thinking about going to the Department of Education and filing um, filing a complaint there. Um, I'm also definitely giving thought to legal, legal recourse forward, you know, whether that's filing a civil suit against, um, against Mark or against CW for their mistreatment of me. Um, so I'm not really totally sure, but um, I think the, the most important thing that's come out of this is besides my case, the administration at CW is scared. They're scared of how much press this case has gotten. You know, they're scared of people like you who are wonderful enough to want to tell this story and, and put some pressure on them. 
So this summer, um, GW Students Against Sexual Assault will be working with the administration to update and revise their policies. Um, so I, you know, whatever happens with me in my case, whatever, you know, trauma I had to go through, I feel like it was all worth it because next year, hopefully, this, the school will be a little bit better for survivors. And what about those students who are still there who are still involved? Um, you, you mentioned that organization there as well. Um, are, are you still in contact with them and, um, you know, a part of um, whatever um, initiative that they want to put forth? Or have you? Mm-hmm. Um, um, yeah, I'm, I'm in touch with them. Uh, we created back kind of when all, all of this was starting um, this wonderful coalition of students um, from Students Against Sexual Assault, but also from um, our student government and from, you know, all these different uh, political movements in the school. And so we still talk all the time. Um, I'm definitely going to be involved, um, or at least in the loop of of the changes that will be happening, the policy changes. But um, honestly, that's not my place. You know, I am not, I wasn't, I guess, until recently um, an activist, you know, in regards to sexual assault. I was a survivor, but it was something that was very personal to me. Um, and I am I'm happy that shedding light on my case has, you know, been um, inspiring for other people and has, you know, hopefully will bring about change. Um, I'm definitely not the most well-versed person in the world on this issue. And there are so many people who have been working on this issue for far longer um, and know far more about it. And so those are the people who, you know, whose voices really need to be in that room, not necessarily mine. So when this petition, uh, is it done? Is it After that, um, who gets the petition and, and what impact do you hope it might have? Um, well, the petition has been delivered, um, I've wanted, you know, for the last time to um, the provost of GW, Forrest Maltzman, and to the dean of students, Peter Konworski, um, mm-hmm. who was the person who had the power to, to overturn Mark's sanctions and chose not to repeatedly. Um, and so it's been turned in for the last time. So I don't know that signing it um, will necessarily do anything else, but the demands of the petition have been formally um, endorsed and taken up by GW Students for Sexual Assault and also by our student government. Um, earlier this, this year, I want to say late April, um, the student government at GW, the student senate, came together and unanimously um, uh, approved the Anika Rehan Act, as they called it, um, which was just officially endorsing the demands of my petition. So, you know, even if it doesn't get any more signatures and even if it doesn't get uh, delivered anywhere else, that petition and those demands will definitely be a part of the process moving forward. Oh, that's great. That's great. And what do you tell young women, you know, in hindsight, based on your situation, um, who may find themselves in a similar situation or may have already? Um, mm-hmm. what, what, can, what can you give them that helps them to see that maybe there is a way clear if they were to speak up? Is there a specific path you need to take? Because it seems like you you had resistance everywhere you turned until you decided to speak out. Mm-hmm. Um, well, even after I've spoken out, there's definitely been resistance. There have been people who are unhappy um, with the way that I've, you know, gone public or with the particular protests that we've chosen to do, or are there even people who don't believe me and who told me that they don't believe me. Um, and I would never, ever wish, you know, what I've been through on another survivor. And I think the most important thing to remember is that healing looks different for different people. Um, and so I am an activist. And for me, healing 
you know, speaking out um, was part of healing. You know, it was, I needed somewhere to channel my anger uh, and to feel like, you know, something beautiful and productive came out of this awful, terrible thing that happened to me. Um, but for many other people, healing looks like, you know, turning to your support uh, systems and, you know, turning to your family and your friends, putting it behind you, um, you know, talking about it, going to therapy. Healing looks very different for, for all types of people. And so I think the most important thing is to center, you know, your healing. Um, and to know that if there are people in your life who don't support you, you know, who don't believe you um, or who want, you know, who want you to shut up about it, um, that's tough. I mean, that's, that's very, very tough. But there's always going to be more people who believe you. Um, and often those people are not people you know. I've been really, really blessed that throughout this, this whole process, um, strangers have been reaching out to me, you know, with their stories. Um, or even just to say, hey, I don't know you, but I think you're amazing, you know, and I support you and I believe you. Um, and that has been invaluable to me. And one of them was, was your niece, Michael, um, who so kindly reached out to mm-hmm. me and put me in touch with you. And so, um, you know, if, if you find yourself as a survivor, if, you know, you ever find yourself in a place where the people around you or the people in your life, um, you know, aren't doing everything that they can to support you, just remember that there always are people out there who will um, and there are organizations that you can turn to and there are, you know, support groups that you can turn to. Wow. Well, it's, it's amazing to me that, you know, you've done so well um, through this process as far as who you are. And, um, you know, I've, I've seen the impact of rape victims and I have a number of friends who've been through a process and, um, very rare have I had a conversation with them about that that wasn't one in tears. And um, uh-huh. so, uh, you know, I, I'm i just, I'm glad that what you're doing gives you a, a sense of um, justice in some way and that you're able to use this process to get past what has happened. Um, a lot of people don't have an opportunity to find anything that will help. And even those mm-hmm. who get the justice that they think that they would want, it, it's not healing. It doesn't change anything. It doesn't change the event that happened itself. It only just means that someone else gets to to suffer for their pain. But pain is pain. So um, right. I just, you know, I, I, I'm happy that you, you know, you've done what you've done. You're you're in a good place as far as you're feeling like you're making an impact. And that's that's um, something to look forward to. Well, thank you. Um, and I think that you touched on something really important there, where um, even in those rare cases, very rare, where you know a, a rapist is found responsible and, and does see jail time, which happens in like one percent of cases, um, even then, that doesn't take away the pain of what happened. Um, you know, there, the, our justice system isn't doing. It, you know, there's, there's nothing that's ever going to change what happened. Um, and I knew that going into the process. I knew that even if Mark was found responsible, even if he was expelled, and that was the most that could possibly have happened, um, I knew even then I would feel like it wasn't enough. Um, and that's, I think, something that's really tough for survivors as well, because when you're fighting, you know, a legal battle or, you know, the battle with the school, at least it feels like you're fighting, you know, when you're doing something about it. And then when that ends and you feel right. a little bit broken, you know, that's, I think, the hardest mm-hmm. part. Um, but I've 
again, I've been really, really blessed with the support system that I have. Um, and with the support system, honestly, that I found through this activism, I've made so many friends in my last month of college that I'm just so honored to know. Um, you know, people who care enough to get involved, you know, with this complete stranger's case. Um, and and so, you know, despite everything, it's really been uh, a really inspiring past couple of months, and I wouldn't have it any other way. Um, and I hope that, oh, this, you know, this is the kind of healing that another survivor is looking for. I hope that they, you know, have the strength and the support to, to do what I did. Well, that's great. Um, and I'm sure that your actions are going to benefit um, quite a few. And um, people just need to know and they need to understand because it, it's it, it just amazes me how some people just don't understand. Sorry, Michael, you were cutting out a little bit. I didn't catch that last part. Uh, well, and I, I'm sorry, I still have a little bit of wire that caused these issues. I'm still having a little problem with it. But it amazes me that people haven't been raised in a way that they understand that you cannot do this to people. Um, you can't mm-hmm. take advantage. You, you can't take what you see on movies and television and assume that that's okay. Um, it's a good person would not take advantage of someone else for any reason. And um, rape can happen to anyone. Uh So, you know, it's just something that changes your life forever. Um, When I was a kid in third grade, one of the students was mm-hmm. raped, and um, I saw what happened to that person after the fact. He became mm-hmm. someone different, afraid of everything, because there's no way in the world you could tell him that his whole world couldn't fall apart at any moment, because that's what happened that day. Right. The um, was it, it took away the person he might have been, and um, mm-hmm. it, it just amazes me how people can be so treacherous and selfish and do despicable things. And um, when I heard your story, I had hoped that, you know, giving you an opportunity to to put it out there and to continue your crusade would would help you as well. So, um, and I thank you for being so transparent and upfront about this, you know, whole ordeal. And um, we just wish you the best. Well, thank you so much. Um, and thanks for wanting to tell this story. There's just one last thing that I do want to touch on. Um, and that's, you know, what you were saying about how, you know, no good person would do this. Um, and I agree with that. But, you know, as much education as we can do around consent and what it should look like, you know, and, and how we should act in our sexual contact with other people, um, that's very important. But most rapists are, are repeat offenders. Um, it's really, you know, the data is really limited on this kind of thing for obvious reasons, but um, the, the data indicates that your average uh, campus assailant uh, raised six women. Um, and that's, you know, what I found in my, in my case. So while we do need to keep continuing to do education around consent, we also definitely need to, you know, increase education around bystander intervention. Um, because the people, yes. you know, the people who do this aren't like, good people who just didn't really get the signal of when to stop. You know, they're, they're people who um, very intentionally 
build trust, you know, very intentionally, um, you know, right. put their, put their um, victims in, in situations where they aren't able to say no, you know, or are scared to say no or, or isolate them um, and take advantage of them. And so one of the biggest things that I think we can do to help stop this is to train good people, um, and there are plenty of good people in the world, in bystander inter- intervention in, you know, how to know when, uh, you know, a girl shouldn't be allowed to be alone with some guy she doesn't know or how to, you know, what to do when you're, I don't know, when you go to a party with a friend and they disappear, you know, there's, there's mm-hmm. a lot more bystander intervention and a lot more um, cultural understanding we can all do, you know, um, instead of just thinking, well, you know, I'm not a racist, I don't need to learn anything, um, which is just not true. We all definitely have to play our part in making sure that this doesn't happen to anyone else. Absolutely. Well, thank you again, Aniswa, and um, if there's ever anything that comes up and you want to add to um, what we've talked about today, or if you want to inform people about anything um, having to do with um, the sexual assault and um, helping people to understand um, what they may not know, um, feel free to contact me again, and um, we'll look forward to um, re-airing this show from time to time as well as a reminder to people to help them to understand um, the difference between consent and someone who's just incapacitated as opposed to also what people would need to know as far as the um, situations that could happen in college um, and Socially, I mean, this could have happened anywhere. This could have happened at a bar. You could have been drugged or anything. But these are mm-hmm. things that happen in the world. But there's always someone, like you said, who could possibly see what's going on and intervene and just help someone out who needs your help. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you again for having me on the show, Michael. Okay, thank you. I'm Michael Fordham in You've come to the end of another great show in a measure of truth. Special thanks to our producer, Donna Hardiman. Um, you've been listening to a measure of truth on blogtalkradio.com. And before you go, here's a little something to take with you. Ask God for wisdom daily, but know that your lesson can come from anybody or any situation, good or bad, friend or foe. Watch your thoughts. They become words. And watch your words, they become actions. And watch your actions, they become habits. And watch your habits, they become your character. And watch your character, it becomes your destiny. Until we meet again, take care of what becomes of you. If I may paraphrase Stephen King, the most important things are the hardest things to say. These are the things you feel ashamed of because mere words only diminish the thought. You see, words shrink things that seem limitless when they were in our hearts and minds to no more than just living size when brought out into the open. Oh, but it's more than that, isn't it? You see, the most important things lie too close to wherever your secret heart is buried. Like landmarks to a treasurer, your enemies would love to steal away and use against you at the worst possible moment. But still, you make revelations that cost you dearly. 
only to have people look at you like you're crazy, not understanding what you've said at all or why you thought it was so important that you almost cried when you were saying it. Do you know what's even worse than that? Is when the secret stays locked within and you can't get it out. Not for want of the courage to talk about it, but for want of someone who will just listen. Just listen. As someone who spends a great deal of time searching for the truth, the lesson that I've learned from this quote is, if you want the truth, you have to be prepared to release all judgment and be open enough to hear and accept the truth in whatever form it might take. Judgment alters the truth by changing how it's told or presented. Not accepting the truth stops the bearer from sharing the truth. Ignoring the truth kills ambition and is a recipe for disaster and makes success impossible. We all over the years have learned to guard ourselves against deception, but I've also come to realize that in most cases, you don't even have to discover or discern the truth. You just have to let it be and see it for what it is. Maybe you have a story too. It doesn't have to be just like the one we've heard. Hey, I just want to let you know, I'm here and I'm willing to listen. All I ask from you is a measure of truth. The time has come for us to learn to analyze and scrutinize the things that we have conveniently come to believe as factual through repetition from what is actually the real truth. We have somehow been led to slaughter by our refusing to ask the questions that would hopefully make sense of the rhetoric, if indeed the rhetoric made any sense at all. We have our suspicions for good reason. But so often we find it much easier to go along, to get along, rather than ask the questions that would lead us to the truth. Have we grown so accustomed to being lied to that the lie now has become the thing that we desire? Have we lost our taste over the years for what is real and factual because we would rather be entertained than informed? How is it that we would rather focus on one tiny fragment of the aftermath than the root the source, and the cause. What then stops us from opening the debate that would bring about the key changes needed to break the cycle of injustice? Have we been made to feel powerless, or are we just unconcerned? What will it take to wake up, America? In this age of information technology, there is more usable, factual resources available to the average individual through the Internet that could have ever been available to even the most learned scholar just 15 years ago. But we still choose to be spoon-fed rather than research, debate, and discern the truth for ourselves. Now we find that we're so brainwashed that our attention now locksteps to the next scandalous, exaggerated, emotion-driven headline, while the truth sits unnoticed, in plain sight, yet another day. I, for one, refuse to be a part of this brainwashing of the masses, this decline in intellect, this surrender of conscience 
So where do you stand in the scheme of things? Free thinker with a mindset to seek out and devour the truth regardless of its source or just another cog in the wheel of blind complacency? Well, of course the choice is yours. But as for me, no matter how much garbage you try to heap in my direction, I will always maintain a healthy appetite for a measure of truth. Once upon a time, there was a new crossover that refused to play by the rules. It flipped the script and made all the others look like fools. Featuring styling that's sexier by far and handles like a rock star. Introducing the first ever Toyota CHR. Enjoy agile handling in the body of a seductive crossover that comes with standard 18-inch alloy wheels. The first ever Toyota CHR. The perfect ride to spin your own tail. Toyota. Let's go places. Hey, DC, did you know that the average person spends hours a week at the grocery store? But you're not an average person, are you? There's a better way to get fresh groceries, and it's called Fresh Direct. Shop for farm fresh fruit and vegetables, custom cut meat and seafood, chef prepared meals and meal kits, all your favorite brands, plus hundreds of weekly deals. Order Fresh Direct anytime, anywhere, and get the freshest groceries delivered to your door. Use code MUSICDC to get $50 off your first order of $99 or more. Visit FreshDirect.com or download the app today.